This, uh, this ministry, it, the people of this ministry, it mean a ton to me because you don't understand. Uh, just at the time when I was getting discipled here, like I was just sleeping on the couch in somebody else's house. Um, if it wasn't for Antonio, I would have never got saved. He threatened to end our friendship. Um, it's not like a tactic I've used since, but it worked on me, so praise God. And I appreciate him for it, that he had the boldness or he was just insane, something. Um, but I love him. Uh, if it wasn't for Pastor Nick and having those Saturday morning discipleship meetings, I would have never had that opportunity to lay that foundation, discover the call that God had in my life. Uh, when Antonio went off to college to make new friends at USF, if it wasn't for Bobby and Justin just taking me aside when they were about 24 years old and just teaching me how to become a young Christian man, I wouldn't be who I am today. If it wasn't for Jesse, I wouldn't have found out how immature I was or still am. Um, <laughs> If it wasn't for Pastor Terry and the Sheriff's Youth Ranch, I wouldn't have been able to practice what I was learning at the Saturday morning. So all these pieces were foundational in my growth and development. So I'm very appreciative for this ministry. I consider myself a son of this ministry. So I've been looking forward to this, this day for, for months. But I didn't come here today to just experience the warm and the fuzzies and to just kind of have a nostalgia and, and just dwell in the past and talk about, you know, past memories. There's been a word that God has been stirring up within me. Um, it's been for months, and I, and I preached it in, in different ways because I just haven't been able to shed it. It's just been, it's been stuck in my spirit because it's been something that I've been able to apply in my own walk, and I've seen the fruit manifest from it. And so I've just been sharing it and sharing it in different ways, delivering it different ways in different settings, different ministries, so on and so forth. So today, for those that love titles, uh, the title of this sermon is The Courts of Heaven. And we're going to start to break down how God is calling us or postured us to maneuver within the courts of heaven to get certain verdicts and judgments rendered from the courts of heaven to manifest within the earth. And we're going to see how that impacts our lives, our prayer lives, and in the natural. Because anything that happens in the natural is first starting in the spirit, manifest in the natural after it begins in the spirit. So, we're going to open up in Revelation 19 and 11. And I'm going to try not to go too fast. I'm used to being on like a shot clock in my ministry back home, so I just jam it all in as fast as I can, and, you know, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit teach you a little bit too, huh? <laughs> Revelation 19 and 11, it says this, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True, it's Jesus, with justice he judges and wages war. This scripture really hit me about six months ago. And just so you understand where I'm coming from, probably about 2012, 2013, I went through this self-deliverance period. I just got done preaching a message one day, and I thought it was really good. And as I got home that night, I was just thinking about all the people that got saved and whatnot. And then God told me that if you do what I've called you to do in your current condition, you're going to fail. It's kind of a tough thing to hear from God, uh, but nonetheless, he said it anyways. And this lady came up to me after I was done preaching and handed me this book. This book was called Pigs in the Parlor. I'll make a long story short. Anyways, I started reading that book, and so God started to give me visions of what I was carrying, the demonic spirits, rather, that I was carrying. And I went through this self-deliverance period. A couple of days later, me and my wife, there was a new chapter open in the ministry of us as far as deliverance and healing with people and addressing, you know, demonic spirits that Christians were carrying. So anytime I say deliverance, I mean casting demons out of Christians. And so we started to do this and really started to get on a roll, and it was fun. Um, but as we got deeper... 
we kind of ran into kind of pockets of people after we were seeing so much success, so many people getting set free from addictions and all these different things. There's a lot of witchcraft happening in San Antonio. Um, it's not Houston, you know, it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's San Antonio. <laughs> Amen. Um, it's San Antonio. There's a lot of witchcraft that happens. So it's nothing for us to come in on a Sunday morning and there's sacrificed cats and things like that on the church grounds where folks that have come in the night before and they're sending curses and things like that. Spiritual warfare is, is a reality. I mean, it's a reality anywhere, but you just kind of see it naturally. So anyways, a lot of people were coming and getting delivered from different things, but we saw pockets of people that were not getting delivered. I didn't understand. So I was asking God, you know, why have we seen success with so many Different people, we've seen addictions broken, we've seen people get healed, delivered from, you know, whatever, lust, perversion, all these different things. But how about th this other section of people? And I began to understand that in this scripture specifically, it says that Jesus judges and then he wages war. And it's in that order. So what I began to understand was that there are judgments that are released from this place called the courtroom of heaven that then come to the battlefield, which is where we are conducting spiritual warfare. So if I don't come into the battlefield with the right judgments from heaven, I'm not going to see the fruit that I desire to see. Now, there were times that I did have those correct judgments. I understood blockages in the spirit minimally. I didn't know it was minimally at, minimally at the time. It keeps developing, but, you know, that's just part of our walk. So after I started to adjust and understand that there is a way, there's, there, there's a way that God can posture us and we can maneuver within the courts of heaven where we are rendering certain judgments or certain verdicts that we take from the courts into the battlefield, then conduct spiritual warfare, and we see much greater success and not as many blockages as I was experiencing in my immaturity. Now, let's go to Luke 18, 1 through 8. I'm going to run through this real quick. It says this. Now he was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. It's Jesus. Saying in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God, did not respect man. There was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This parable follows Jesus saying, men always ought to pray and not lose heart. I want to put out a, a disclaimer real quick. What I'm about to say, I am not saying that, there is, that there's not a place for perseverance or persistence in prayer. What I am saying is there are times in our lives when we don't see the fruit of our prayer and we're continually going more effort is not going to just make it come all the time. There are places for that. I am not saying that there's no room for persistence in prayer or perseverance in prayer. I am saying that there are times when it's just not the case, that sometimes you are up against the wall and just applying more effort and more effort and more effort will just wear you out. 
What I want you to take from this parable is the association that Jesus is making between perseverance and prayer and placing it in a courtroom setting. This widow is seeking justice in a courtroom setting. So tie together perseverance and prayer, persistence in prayer in a courtroom setting. So Jesus, God judges and then wages war, prayer associated with the courtroom setting. We're going to continue to build as we go through this. Daniel 7 and 10. Excuse me, my allergies have been crazy. I lost my voice on Tuesday, got it back just enough for yesterday, and I wore it out last night, and I'm pushing through this morning. Daniel 7 and 10 says, A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. So this courtroom in heaven, those that are in, in attendance of this courtroom are seated. And once they are seated, there are books that exist in heaven that are then open. There are books on us that God has authored on us as individuals, on our bloodlines, on churches, on businesses, on towns, on cities, on states, all the way up to nations. Thank you, I appreciate it. These books contain God's plans, his purposes, and his destiny for whatever they were written about. Anything that God has ordained to manifest within the earth is always first written in a book in heaven. Jesus was no exemption or exception. Why, or one of the reasons why the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I said this yesterday. The Bible calls us His workmanship. If you drill down in the Greek, you see that means poem. So we are poetic power that is manifested within the earth. So your identity, the kingdom purpose that you have, what God has called you to do is already authored in a book that exists in heaven. It's important to understand. There are various levels of courts, though. It's just like in earth. We have small claims. We have civil, divorce court, all the way up to supreme. Same thing exists in heaven. If you look at Zechariah 3, you see Joshua the high priest. He gains authority to different levels of courts, multiple but there is a courtroom, which you guys are familiar with, Hebrew 4 and 16, the throne of grace. We're able to obtain mercy and grace in our time of need. I want to focus on this particular courtroom because it's a courtroom that we all have access to. Just like lawyers in the natural, they have different levels of authority. Not just any lawyer that comes out of law school can jump straight into Supreme Court. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that in the spirit. But we're not creators. We're just imitating of something or imitating something that already exists in the spirit. But in this particular courtroom, we all have access and authority to pertaining, based upon our covenant with Jesus, for the matters of ourselves, our families, the things that we have authority over. It's key to understand that. Now I want to give you insight to what the interaction in this courtroom looks like. In Revelation 12 and 10, it shows us that Satan stands opposite of us, accusing us day and night. So picture yourselves right here. Picture Satan. Picture your book. 
There are other voices within the courtroom. We'll get to that in a second. Satan is accusing us of the sin that we have committed and hopefully, in his eyes, have not repented for yet. Why? Because if that's true, we have not done our job and repented for our sin, then Satan obtains a legal right in those areas of sin in our lives to keep us in demonic bondage. So if I'm lustful, unforgiving, prideful, rebellious, I don't repent for it, he can accuse me of that sin, and if I haven't repented, I'm guilty. That's how we end up in spiritual chains and in demonic bondage and open up those demonic doors. But it's not just to keep us in bondage, it's to prevent what is written in our book from manifesting. You see, Satan doesn't have insight to the mind of God but you just heard that when the courtroom is seated, the book is open. So everyone who's in the courtroom understands what is written in that book because it's open. So Satan has an understanding of what God has authored about us. And if that comes to pass, we become a direct threat to Satan and his kingdom. Which is why he accuses to prevent that from coming to pass. Adversary means an opponent in a suit of law. It's legal. Accuser means to accuse before a judge. On the contrary, the Holy Spirit is described as a comforter in Scripture, right? So if we look at comforter, if we really drill down in the exhaustive concordance, Strong's, we would see under one of those definitions that under comforter, you'd find legal aid. Because one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to serve as a legal aid for us to maneuver within the courts of heaven. We're not left alone. Everything is set up perfectly. God is a just judge and he can't compromise himself. He can't compromise his standard, but there is a plan in place. And as soon as we come to understanding of what that plan is, then we just have to maneuver within it. In Luke 22 and 31, you guys know this, about Peter. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Right? But Jesus says, but I prayed for you. If you look at asked for you or desire, whatever translation you're looking at, again, if you drill down within the Strong's, you would find that means demanded for trial. So Satan was demanding Peter to trial in the spirit. So again, that book is open. Satan is aware of what God has authored about Peter. So he understands what's coming. So now he's thinking, well, if I can accuse Peter of whatever sin or create some sort of blockage within the spirit realm, then maybe I can stop what's about to happen. But Jesus enters within that courtroom as an intercessor. Well, that's key right there. Because he, he doesn't show up as God. Please get this, because he hasn't died and resurrected yet. He does not go in that courtroom as God. Right now, he's a high priest. He won that position. He goes in there as man filled with God. That's key, because that means we can do the same thing. So he goes in this courtroom, and he maneuvers within this courtroom to secure Peter's destiny. So we have that same ability Amen. as intercessors filled with God 
to enter within this courtroom for our brothers and sisters for the sake of their purpose. I didn't say needs. I didn't say needs. Because needs are always contained within the purpose. It's about purpose. And that's what God has written in our books. It's our purpose, not necessarily our needs. Amen. The Bible says to agree with our adversary quickly, lest we be handed over to the judge and thrown in prison. So when we enter this courtroom and we repent for our sin that we're being accused of, what that does is it begins to silence and annul the accusations that are being made against us. We become washed clean with the blood of Christ, washing the stain from us. That's just one piece of it to silence the accusations. Because then, once those accusations are silenced, we can make an appeal before God for his purpose that he has authored about us to manifest within the earth. So we can prophesy. That's what word of prophecy really is. We're just repeating what God has already authored, whether it be in the present or in the future, whatever the case may be. We prophesy those things that God has authored about us or whoever we're praying for, and then we see those things manifest because the blockages are out of the way in the legal rights that Satan formerly had are no longer. And then we take those judgments, and then we go into the battlefield, and then we can pray in spiritual warfare and deal with those demonic spirits that are in the way. Because we have authority based upon the judgments that were released from heaven. Yeah, we have all authority in Jesus. But if you've ever been in a position where you're trying to cast a demonic spirit out of somebody and nothing happens, no matter how many times you say Jesus, you'll understand real quick that there's a blockage somewhere. It's a humbling experience. There are different voices that are within the courtroom. I'm not going to get into all of them for the sake of time, but I want to highlight some. So you know there's an accuser, Satan. You know there's us. The blood of Jesus is a voice within the courtroom. This kind of trips some people up. They say, well, how can the blood speak? But the blood of Abel cried out. And what was the result of that? Cain was sentenced as a vagabond. So based upon the testimony of the blood of Abel, Cain was sentenced. How much more the blood of Christ. So the blood of Christ releases a testimony on our behalf that we are redeemed. Jesus is obviously a voice within that courtroom. He's the high priest of the courtroom. He's also a mediator. What does a mediator do? Brings agreement between two parties because he's bringing us back into agreement with the Father. And there's God the Father as judge. And everything is working in perfect agreement. We just have to step into it. Our words 
The things that we say in everyday conversation, they create testimonies within the courts of heaven. In Matthew 12, 36-37, it says, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So no matter what we say, specifically pertaining to what we have authority over, and I'm going to break it down practically in a second, we either justify or we condemn. Now, idle means something unemployed. In other words, we don't mean it, but we say it anyway. So even the things that we say in leisure, they matter. They create testimonies. So we are constantly speaking over people. For instance, I use my children. I have authority over them, spiritual authority over them. I could constantly get frustrated all day long, say you're rebellious, you don't listen, you're this, you're that, so on and so forth. But you know what I'm doing? I'm condemning, I'm releasing a testimony of condemnation. So what happens is, as Satan is accusing them, because they also have a book that has been written about them, and Satan is also accusing them, even when they're small, so that they're not a threat as an adult. What he does is, if I'm saying those things, he uses me as a co-signer. And he says, even their own father says this about them. My words over my wife, over my children, they matter. At all times, either I'm justifying or I'm condemning. But it's not limited to just what I say. Because even my thoughts create communication within the spirit realm. I can fantasize about a woman in sin. I did that with my mind. I created that communication with my mind. My mind has to be renewed daily because of the thought patterns that I've picked up from a sinful past. So it's not limited to what you just say. Even the thoughts that you are even murmuring in your minds, that we are murmuring in our minds, they make a difference too. I know I can say that and kind of make you paranoid. I'm not trying to make you paranoid. Like every time you have a thought, like, they're not going to, their destiny's ruined. I'm not saying that. But you get where I'm going with this. In the same context, it applies to the church too. I've seen this. I'm not saying it happens here. Every time I say this, I'm not saying it happens in this church. It's every other church. We can, we can present ourselves, you know, unified, like, oh, we're praying with the pastor, and, <clears throat> you know, we're praying for this and that, and we're unified, God, look at us, we're standing in a circle and interceding, but then when church is over, we're like, man, I wish, you know, he doesn't act like this, he didn't say this, he didn't do that, blah, 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 and we're just talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. Oh, but I'll pray for him after, so it's cool. <laughs> But what we're doing is we're releasing a testimony on behalf of the church, too. Because there is a book, there is a purpose that has been written about faith Christian. And the things that we say, either we come into agreement with it, or we don't. And then we ourselves become a blockage within the spirit realm. I wonder why we see inconsistencies sometimes. Our bloodlines are crucial within the courts of heaven. Now, really, this could be a separate sermon in itself, but um, I just want to touch on it real quick. Isaiah 43, 25 through 28 says, I, even I, 
am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, this God. And I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case. It's legal. That you may be acquitted. It's also legal. Your first father's sin. Now we're talking about generational sin. And your mediators have transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary. I will give Jacob to the curse and Israel to reproaches. You are seeing judicial activity for bloodlines in a courtroom setting. And this is pertaining to the book that has been written about the nation of Israel. It's kind of like in politics. Run for office, right? It's not even just about necessarily what you've done. Now they go into your past. They go into what your ancestors have done so they can throw that out there so that you're no longer credible. I think they just came up with the idea themselves. Satan does the same thing. It's not only just what we do, but the things that have happened previous to us matter as well. If we believe in generational blessings, which is true, Generational curses are also a reality. That's why you see some of the same repetitive sin, father to son, all the way down. Whether it be alcoholism, adultery, divorce, whatever the case may be. And you wonder, why does this keep happening in my family? Why does this same sickness keep manifesting all the way down? Generational curses are real. And when there's sin there that has not been addressed, which we all have authority to address on behalf of our bloodline, by the way, it creates this demonic portal, this opening within our bloodline, allowing demonic access, keeping the seed in bondage generation after generation. But the good news is we have authority. Amen. The throne of grace as an intercessor to maneuver within the courtroom of heaven on behalf of our bloodline. Some of our family members, they're very blinded. I just talked to some of them the other day. <laughs> now I'm going home. <laughs> and some of my family members just aren't getting saved. They don't listen, but I'm seeing breakthrough because I've begun to enter in the courts of heaven as an intercessor on their behalf, and I've asked the Holy Spirit, examine my bloodline all the way up to Adam and Eve, and whatever needs to be repented for, I'll repent and close these demonic doors, and then take those judgments into the battlefield and cast out these demonic spirits so that my family is no longer in bondage because I don't want my daughters to pay for what other people have done. Amen. And some people will say, well, that doesn't sound fair. Was well, it fair if I do the right thing and my daughters experience the generational blessings that they're going to experience? Favor ain't fair. I want to get into the role of the church within the courts. 
In Hebrews 12 and 23, it says, or rather we're told that the church or the ecclesia is registered in heaven. Now, I believe, personally, um, that part of that reason is for operations in the courts of heaven. And 2 Corinthians um, says that God appoints us to a specific sphere. Sphere meaning a measure or limited portion. It's the jurisdiction in the spirit realm. So as God has authored a purpose for the church that we're a part of, each church that is registered in heaven has a specific sphere or a jurisdiction within the spirit realm. I've seen two different sides of this. I've seen one side. Let me back it up. I'm not talking about praying blessings over areas. I mean, we can do that all day. That's cool. I'm talking about waging war. Because if we're serious about bringing kingdom culture, bringing the kingdom of God to a specific area, we have to deal with the territorial spirits that are already postured there. And praying blessings over an area is not going to deal with them. You have to wage war. So in this context, I'm talking about waging war. So each church that is registered in heaven, within their book, it outlines their jurisdiction that they have in the spirit. So I've seen some ministries where they've just been waging war everywhere. Every demonic spirit. We're going to take them on. We're going to intercede all night to midnight, whatever. We're going to burn the oil. But I've seen in those ministries a lot of the intercessors get sick often because they're taking on battles that they don't have jurisdiction in. See, we're all members of one body. We all have certain responsibilities in certain jurisdictions. No one church is meant to cover everywhere. I've seen the flip side, too, where some ministries, they don't pay it any mind. I don't care. I'm not even good because it's scary. I, I've been a part of ministries where they're just like, oh, we're having demonic problems? Well, I know another ministry that specializes in this. And we'll send them that way. They'd love to completely ignore the satanic kingdom that is in their congregation every Sunday with a whole lot of hurting people that are in bondage and they have no idea why. I'll just preach you something nice. I'll talk to you about love, prosperity. Those things are good. I'm not saying they're bad. We'll ignore everything else. So you'll come in, you'll feel happy. And I'll send you on your way after your emotional climax. But when you wake up the next day, you're just in the same condition. You're not growing. Stuck in that same cycle. They don't know any better. So I've seen ministries just, just completely ignore it. They don't even want to operate within the jurisdiction that they have. They're not making much impact. It looks good. But I'm going to tell you something. An earthly reputation does not indicate kingdom, spiritual jurisdiction, what exists in the spirit realm that flows governmental authority from Mount Zion. I can look any sort of way. Sure, I know ministries that they, man, they'll, they just posture the camera just right. Sit everybody in the middle, everybody outside, nobody's there. We'll take in homeless people. We'll dress them up, and by the time service is over, we put them back in their regular clothes and send them packing. Create mirages all day. 
So the question is, what is the key to knowing the church's jurisdiction? So if you're asking me, and I'm glad you asked, I would say this. I'm starting to understand that a church's jurisdiction is known by the apostle or apostles that are connected to it. Apostles carry governmental authority in the spirit. God appointed apostles first. The apostles didn't come out of the church. The church came out of the apostles. Second Corinthians, Paul says that there's even rank among apostles. So different apostles, apostles have, have different jurisdictions, some over small towns, some over cities, some over all the way up to nations. Before you start getting trippy over this, we just had this conversation the other day, but here you won't say, I'll say it for him, but there is a heavy apostolic anointing upon Pastor Nick. You guys call him Pastor Nick, but there's an apostolic anointing on him. In case you don't know, now you know. <laughs> Bobby used to call him Apostle Nick 10 plus years ago. I don't know if he knew what he was saying, but it's true. So, this is how it functions. So based upon the apostolic connection with the ecclesia, the jurisdiction is determined. So that the ecclesia or the church can enter within the courtroom based upon that jurisdiction over the area or the land that they're responsible for. So that verdicts and judgments can be rendered so that God's purpose that he has authored about, whether it be Clearwater or in Africa, can manifest. And again, we're talking about waging war. I don't know if it still occurs, but I know when I lived here, there were a bunch of Scientologists that ran around this place. It's witchcraft. Africa, I don't think that even needs to be said. We know. So you have to deal with those spirits because they're a blockage for the purpose. It doesn't make it impossible. We just have to have strategy behind it. So what we can do is we can enter into the courts and we who have been given jurisdiction over this area can cry out to the Lord and repent for the sins of the area. It's not that they're just saved because we repented for what has occurred, but it's allowing God to release his mercy and his grace so that his purpose can be fulfilled. And then we can appeal before God based upon his purpose as we gain insight and seek God to what he has authored for that area and appeal to God for those things to manifest. And then we take those judgments. Then we go to the battlefield. Then we deal with what's there. And then we can prophesy what God has written and we see it come to pass. Yeah. Amen. So you see from an individual level to your bloodlines, to how we function as the church or the ecclesia for the purpose of God's will being fulfilled within the earth. Here's a side note that I like to throw out. <clears throat> I say it in settings sometimes where, you know, you know you kind of got like some, some church hoppers. But at the same time, there's 
sort of people that are looking for a church home. So that's good. But I always recommend seek God for a ministry that is registered in heaven. Because not every church is registered in heaven. I can create a church tomorrow. I can get a 501c3 and we can go through that process and whatever. Anybody can do that. That doesn't mean that there's godly purpose behind it. In Texas, there's churches on every corner. I've been a part of two failing ministries. I've seen it firsthand. Kind of learning the hard way a little bit. But I'm not solely responsible for it, so that's cool. (laughs) But not every church is registered in heaven. You don't want to be a part of a church or a ministry that does not have spiritual jurisdiction because you won't be a part of a move, a kingdom move, to see kingdom culture come to a specific area. We can do some good things. We can open up a food pantry. We can feed some folks. We can do stuff. We can pray for people. You can do godly things, but I'm talking about waging war. I'm talking about change in a land where the entire landscape looks different because we are here as a body. Because we do have power and authority. And you take that power and authority and you combine it with jurisdiction. And then you watch the manifestation. Ezekiel 22 and 30, it says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. We see in this verse the heart of the Father. He doesn't desire to just release, you know, these judgments that can be to our demise, per se. If if we haven't repented and we're just often sinning and doing these things, that's kind of on us. But in this verse specifically, there's a cry from the Father for His people, us, who know better to stand in the gap for the land or the jurisdiction that they have been assigned. Because the Father's heart is not to destroy the land. It's important to understand that. You have to be able to see the love of God in that. But you know what it also means? It also means we're needed. People struggle with this a little bit to say that, If I were to say that God needs us, it's like I'm saying we're equals with God. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying he's not sovereign or anything like that. I'm saying he created us to fulfill a specific need so we are needed. And if we don't do our job, there are consequences. But in reverse, when we do do our job, it is beautiful. That's the beauty of our relationship with God. But that's his heart. He is calling the church or the ecclesia to stand in the gap for the land, to maneuver within the courts of heaven so that his purpose can land in the earth, manifest in the earth. Just think about in Genesis and the conversation between God and Abraham, who he considered friend, Sodom and Gomorrah. Would you spare him for 50? Yeah, I'll spare him for 50. Couldn't find him. 45, 40, 30, 20. Yeah. 
I'll spam them for 20. Looking for reasons. I'll spam them for 10. Still looking. In coordination with Abraham. Not on his own. Because God values his relationship with his people. So when we say you have value, we're not just saying that because we believe you have low self-esteem and you just need to pick me up. It's because it's true. And that's his heart. Some people struggle with that. So in closing, hope I did good with time. I want to set the foundation. And I hope that you guys have this understanding that one, you're important, you're important, you're God's workmanship. God has authored a book and a purpose about you as individuals. He didn't waste his time on it. But not just you, on your family, on your bloodlines. There was purpose for your bloodline. There is generational purpose. And there are books that are authored about the ministry that you're a part of. And there is purpose behind that too. And God, I believe, is, is releasing this in the earth so that we come into an understanding of how to maneuver within the courts of heaven so that we get to experience His purpose in the fullness in which He desires. I need you to get that this morning. Because some folks, they struggle and they question it. Why am I even here? I'm a waste of space. Because so many people have told you over and over again, Never be anything more than your mother or your father in a negative sense. Never make it out of the neighborhood you grew up in. You're a waste. And people will beat you down. And if you hear it enough, you'll start to believe it. And you know what's hanging around the corner? That spirit of suicide. That spirit of depression. Waiting for you to come into agreement with those words. Because once you start to believe that, you begin to open up that door. But that's not God's purpose for us. 